Good morning. Good to see you this weekend. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site uh, campus or maybe a venue here at Long Point or on the Internet. We're uh, glad that you're along also. I need to introduce myself. My name's Greg Surratt, and I'm a male figure skater, or used to be at least. <clears throat> Started out as an ice dancer and then went into preaching, and uh, that's kind of how it ended up. <laughs> I hope you're glad to be here this weekend. I know that I am. Let me ask you a question, okay? Let me ask you a question. You guys, you ever tried to follow a leading from God? Let, let, let me set it up like this. Like, like last weekend, if you were here last weekend, we talked about listening to God's voice, following His leadings, that He, he wants, uh, He's created you for significance and there's significant work for you to do and and uh, he wants you to follow him. And then we did this video. And at the end of the video, we're all like wiped out. And we're going, here am I. Send me. Send me. Send me. You know. And so, and, and, so, and so you follow God as best you know how. You listen to God. And you think you've got God's voice on something. And you follow him. And you get in the middle of whatever it is. It might have already happened this week. Or maybe it's a process of a month or two. And you find out you are way over your head. And things are not going you know, the way that you thought it should. And you're going, uh, rather than here am I, you're going, where are you, God? Where are you? I thought I was following you. And, uh, and I don't see evidence of, of, uh, of you being here at all. It might, might been, you decided you were going to go public and share your faith, you know. And uh, so you, you've got a friend at work or colleague or, or maybe it's a, a relative. And, and, you know, you, people ask me all the time, they say, what's the best way to share your faith? The best way to share your faith is to share, share your story, you know, as honestly as you can. What has God done for you? And so you do that or you try to do that and you get all tangled up and it doesn't come out right or else they don't receive it right. And it causes more of a rift than it does what you thought would happen. Or uh, maybe, you know, you're trying to get your finances together. You, you hear God's voice that you're a steward of everything that you have and that it all belongs to God. And so you, you know, maybe you started this year and you said, I'm going to give God 10%. I'm going to tithe of my income and uh, I'm going to work on a budget and we're going to get out of debt and all this kind of good stuff. And you're plowing through it and uh, the transmission goes out, you know, and the, or, or the heater goes out in, in the house, air, heat and air conditioner or whatever it is. And it just blows everything to bits of the whole plan. And you're going, God, where are you? Yeah, I thought you blessed me. This doesn't feel like a blessing. Or maybe uh, for you, you decided that uh, you and your spouse, you're, you're going to have a different way of communicating. You're going you're to treat your spouse as the Lord wants you to, you know. And, and it's going along okay. And then here we are in February. And you, you're having more intense fellowship than you've ever had in your entire life. And you're going, God, where are you? I'm trying to follow you. Or maybe it's like, you know, you decided, well... It, here at Seacoast, we encourage everybody to serve in the church, in the community, and in the world. And you said, I'm going to go on a mission trip, you know. And, and so you, you know, you're, you send out all the letters to your friends, you know, asking for their support. And you don't have enough money uh, to do it, but you're stepping out in faith. They say, God will provide. God will provide. And it gets to be about two weeks before the mission trip, and you're way, way short financially. God, where are you? Here am I. You sent me. And now you're not around. I had an experience with my very first mission trip to India. Uh, I'm a homebody, to be honest with you. Um, I uh, like to be right here in America. Uh, I've never been to Africa. I, I might go someday, but I don't have a compelling desire. I pray for those of you who go. 
um, you know, or various parts of the world. It's, I'm just not, we're all not wired up alike, and I'm, I'm certainly not, I'm wired up kind of as a homebody. And I finally uh, answered God's call. I felt his tug to, to go to India about 10 years ago, I think. First time really I've been uh, on, on a mission thing outside of the United States. And, uh, and so I went, and my dad was a missionary in India, in uh, southern India. And uh, Jason and I, were, my son, were going to go, and I was going to speak at a big crusade uh, I've never seen so many people packed in such a small area in my life. And uh, and also then teach and train, first time I'd done it, some uh, Indian leaders, some pastors. And so we get on the airplane, and the first thing I notice, it's a long ways from Mount Pleasant to India. It just is, just a long, long ways. And on the international flight, I had a center seat. I will never complain about a center seat on a domestic flight because it just ain't no big thing. But on an international flight. Oh my goodness. We flew forever. And I'm, you know, two big people, you know, and all that whole deal. You know how that is. And uh, so <clears throat> we fly into uh, Mumbai and uh, we're, we're going to, um, <clears throat> we're going to uh, catch a, we, we fly into the international airport. And we're going to catch a domestic flight the next morning, actually about eight hours later. So we've got to get from the international airport to the domestic airport. But uh, you can't really stay in the airport there. And so we, I had somebody book me a, a hotel. And I said, okay, is that, you know, I'm real nervous about this thing. The hotel's booked. Yes, it's booked. How do I get from the, um, you know, the, the, the airport to the hotel? A shuttle or a taxi. You know, which is it? Well, it'll be, it'll be a, a shuttle and it'll be there for you. So I fly into Mumbai, Jason and I. We get there at 2 o'clock in the morning. If you've ever flown into India, it's a, it's a trip, especially a few years ago. And uh, we got our luggage together, and we, we go outside of the airport, and I'm greeted by just, it seemed like thousands of people all hollering and yelling for somebody. And uh, it's, it's just chaotic. It's unbelievable. And wouldn't you know it, but this happened to be the week that the uh, taxis and shuttles all went on strike. And so there, I had no idea, no idea. So I get out there and I'm saying, you know, nobody speaks very much English and you've got people wanting to take your, you know, bags and carts and all this kind of stuff. And so I said, you know, we, we exchanged some money inside. So I had a little bit of uh, some rupees and it was like monopoly money to me. I had no idea what it meant. And uh, one guy was, I'd say, can you take me to the shuttle for such and such a hotel? You know, I'm thinking America shuttle. Just kind of wait here and all the shuttles go by. No, not, not, not the deal. And so uh, long story short, um, I paid a guy a good month, two months wages to take Jason and I about 50 yards into this dark parking lot and leave us. And then somebody else comes and says, I'll show you. And I pay him a month or two wages. And this goes on for about five people until we're out in the middle of nowhere. And if you watch Slumdog Millionaire, the, the, um, the, uh, the, the slum where that was uh, filmed is right by the airport there. And I, we have no idea what's going on. And so in the middle of this at about 3.30 in the morning, I'm thinking, God... You know, if you want to kill me, that's your deal. It's okay. I mean, you, you make that call. But why at an airport in Mumbai? Let's do this in Mount Pleasant. This would be easier for everybody. Okay? <laughs> and I'm thinking, I thought I followed your leading. And here I am. It was serious situation. Serious situation. Now, we made it through. 
I'm here today to tell about it. I'm not going to tell the whole story. I will write it in a book and sell it to you. But uh, we're going to study. We're going to study uh, today from Acts 14 the story of Paul and Barnabas. And, and last week we found them being sent. That was the whole deal of the message. Uh, compelled to go, they were sent. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us that they go, and so they go. And this is their first missionary trip. And things start going south in a hurry. In fact, um, they're doing their best to follow God. And in chapter 14, it begins to unravel. And what, what I want to do is I want to read the chapter to you. Just follow along. I'll comment a little bit on it. And then at the end, three principles that we can learn uh, when we hit the wall. Because you're going to hit the wall in life. You're going to hit the wall in ministry. It's going to happen. What do you do? How do you handle that when you hit the wall? When God compels you to go and it's not turning out quite like you thought it would. So let's read Acts 14, verse 1. It says, In Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went together to the synagogue and they preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who spurned God's message... Now, this is a group of people. This is, there, there were some, they went to the synagogue. That's where they, it, that was kind of their pattern and their habit. And they would preach Jesus. They would take the Old Testament scriptures and they'd show how Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And in the synagogue, there were, of course, the Jewish people. And there were also God-fearing Gentiles who would come, who could never be a part of the life of the community, but they believed in the Jewish God. Uh, and so they were kind of on the edges. And so when they went... A lot of Jewish people believed in lots of Gentiles. This was great news for them. But there were some Jewish people who decided, we're just not going to believe. It's not like, a, well, I'm having a hard time believing, or if you could explain it more, I'd understand it. No, they had set their heart. Doesn't matter what the facts are. Do you know anybody like that? They had set their heart, no matter what the facts are, we're just not going to believe. And so they stirred up distrust among the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas, saying, all sorts of evil things about them. The apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. The Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the city were <clears throat> divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. A mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. Things are not going well for them. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Where are you? Okay. And so, when the apostles learned of it, they fled for their lives. They went to the region of Lyconia. It's like they went to another county. To the cities of Lystra and Derby and the surrounding area. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they preached the good news there. Now, while they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was listening as Paul preached, and Paul noticed him and realized that he had faith to be healed. Interesting deal uh, there. It says, Paul noticed him, or Paul saw him, and he noticed that he had faith to be healed. How did he know that? I don't know. The Holy Spirit prompted Paul, hey, I'm at work in this guy, and, and I want to heal him, and he has faith for it. I, I don't know how that happened. It was a gift from the Lord. All I know, the principle from there is this, that when you're following God, it's much easier to find out where God is blessing than to ask God to bless what you're doing. And so you kind of look around and you look for signs 
of where God is blessing, and you put the pom-poms on for that. You say, God, I'm there. I want to be where you're blessing. It's listening to the Holy Spirit and His guidance. So anyway, he saw that. And so Paul called to him in a loud voice, and he said, Stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the listening crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, a dialect that Paul and Barnabas did not understand, These men are gods in human bodies. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul, because he was the cheap speak, cheap chief speaker, was Hermes. What, what's up with that? Why, uh, you know, Zeus and Hermes? Here, here's the deal. There was a legend in that area. It was a myth. It was a legend that one day, years and years ago, that the Greek god Zeus, who was the big dog, and Hermes, who was his little follower, came to their town, and they were looking for hospitality. They were looking for a place to stay, and nobody would let them stay until finally they came to this home of this little old man, little lady, and they invited them in, and they stayed in their house. Well, in order to show them um, their gratitude for them uh, keeping these gods in their house, uh, the gods elevated their house to a temple and made them priests and basically fried and toasted everybody who wouldn't let them into their house. And so that was kind of the background here. And so the people are thinking, even though that this is just a myth and a story, they're thinking, you know what? Zeus and Hermes are back. And we want to do what's right so that we don't get fried. Okay, that's the mentality of the people. And what's funny about the deal to me as I was studying is that they, they called Barnabas Zeus because they thought, this is the big guy, he looks good, he's in charge. And Paul was kind of the, the noisy sidekick. In fact, from this time, we have an actual description of Paul, one of the only actual descriptions of Paul that uh, Bible scholars think uh, you know, are true because oftentimes when somebody becomes larger than life, the whole description of them become larger than life. Well, here's one from this era that, that uh, gives a description of Paul. It says that he was a short, balding guy with spindly legs, a unibrow, okay? Uh, and uh, uh, just not, not very, and, and a crooked nose, big crooked nose. So that's what Paul looked like. So never judge, a, you know, judge somebody by the outside package. Uh, Paul should have been Zeus. Short guys should be in charge, okay? So anyway, can I get a, can I get a witness? All right. So that's kind of the background story. The temple of Zeus was located on the outskirts of the city. The priest of the temple and the crowd brought oxen and wreaths of flowers. And they prepared to sacrifice to the apostles at the city gates. They're getting ready to worship these guys because these are gods because of the power that they spoke with and because of the miracle that happened in the midst. But when Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, somebody interpreted for them and they figured out what they were doing. They tore their clothes in dismay and they ran out to the people shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We're merely human beings like yourself. I mean, if you remember a couple of chapters ago, you remember when Herod, we we talked about Herod, gave this great speech and he looked real good and people said, Boy, you must be a god. And he said, Bingo, you got that right. And remember what happened to him? I mean, he, he got worms and died. didn't go well for him because he received praise that rightfully belonged to the Lord. He didn't deflect it. He took it for himself. Well, this is an entirely different response 
I mean, it would have been easy for them to think, you know what, the last place we were at, we got beat real bad. Or they wanted to beat us. And, and uh, uh, th- this, this sure beats the daylights out of getting beat up. Uh, how about we just go ahead and go along with the ruse and then we'll present Jesus to them at some point from really a higher place. It been easy for them to do, but they didn't. Because they understood that the praise belonged to God and they're on dangerous ground here. If they receive praise of people, it's going to be dangerous for them and for the other people. They remembered Herod, so it's an entirely different response. So here's what they said. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. In earlier days, He permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but He never left Himself without a witness. There were always His reminders, such as sending you rain and good crops and giving you food and joyful hearts. Reminders of there is a God. But even so, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Short mini-message in the middle of the message. What's up with the praise thing? What's up with worship being such a big deal? Why, why would God get all hyper about people worshiping other things? In fact, you go to the root of it. You go to Deuteronomy where God gives the Ten Commandments and He says, don't worship any other gods because I am a jealous God. That's a hard concept. Oprah got all hyped up about that whole deal. It's one of the reasons why she kind of created her own religion. And it would be real easy to throw rocks at Oprah. In fact, I kind of like doing that. But if we all would, if we all be honest, we, we probably have questions about that. I mean, a jealous guy, why, does he have this huge ego that he's got to have all this worship? And, you know, what, what's up with that? Let me give you a couple of thoughts about that. First thought is this, is that we were created to worship. Everybody that's created has a worship gear. I mean, you can't turn off your worship drive any more than you can turn off your sex drive. You were created with both, okay? You're created to worship. You're going to worship something or somebody. The second truth there is, here's the problem, is because we can easily worship the wrong things. We can easily worship the wrong things. John Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. I mean, we can churn up stuff to worship. We never run out of things uh, that we think that we need to make us happy. In fact, worship, here's what worship is. Worship is just simply worshiping whatever you think you need in life to make you happy. And we can just churn up stuff all the time, can't we? All the time. Um, Tim Keller said an idol is something we look to uh, to bring uh, only what God can give. And usually it's not something bad. You know, usually you just elevate something else above God. This this is make me happy. Love. Maybe it's romance. Maybe it's a relationship or money or success or it can even be in the church. It can be doctrine. I know people that just just worship doctrine. They argue about doctrine all the time. Doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. We're just elevate it to a place even above God. It can be it can be technology. Like an iPad. I need one of those to make me happy. Okay? Just anything that you elevate above God to make you happy. And how, how does idol worship work? First of all, you decide, what would hell on earth be like? What would hell on earth be? Maybe it, it would be to be poor. That would be hell for me. Or maybe it would be, you know, to be unpopular. Go to school. Man, it would be horrible to, to be unpopular. I can't, I can't imagine. That would be hell on earth. 
to be unpopular. Maybe it's to be out of shape or to be fat, to be ugly, whatever it happens to be, to be unsuccessful. That is hell on earth to me. And then I go, all right, you turn to a Savior that could save you from that hell. You know, if if hell on earth for you is loneliness, then your Savior uh, is companionship. And that becomes what you worship, the person that you worship. If the hell on earth for you is poor, be terrible to be poor. Maybe I'm not going to have enough money to retire when I turn 65 or whatever it happens to be. So guess what the Savior is? The Savior is money. And so you begin to worship money. Maybe it's the hell on earth for you would be to be unappreciated. People just don't appreciate what I do. I do so much, I do so much, I do so much, and people don't appreciate it. I wish they appreciated it more. So your Savior is acts of service. And acts of service is a good thing, but it becomes your God. You're doing it to gain favor. Or maybe it's approval. Hell is it's not being respected. Maybe your father didn't approve of you or respect you, and so your God becomes approval. Or it can be something like exercise. Exercise is good. All these things are good. But maybe you're, you know, uh, hell for you would be to be a few pounds overweight and out of shape, and so, and so your Savior becomes exercise. I know people like that, that they just exercise, exercise, exercise. It's a good thing, but it has become an object of worship. Their body has become an object of worship. And so whatever it is, it can be anything. Uh, you, you turn to a Savior that takes you from that hell and you discover that your new Savior hasn't saved you over time. And in fact, it's taken you to a whole nother level, not up, but down. And now you, there are so many gods that are vying for your attention that it becomes a confusing, confusing thing. They're warring against each other. Here's the third thought. God is the only one worthy of worship. Why is God so amped up about that? Let me tell you why. It's not because He's egotistical and He needs all of that. It's, it's because anything but God will leave you empty. I don't care what it is. You put your faith, you put your worship in anything else but God, and it will ultimately leave you empty. Counterfeit God's promises salvation they can't give. C.S. Lewis says it this way. This is so important. This is what I want you to get. He says, put first things first, and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first, and we lose both first and second things. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and I will add what? All of the things that you need. Take the opposite of that. You don't seek uh, God and His righteousness. You will lose the things, and you will lose the relationship with God. That's why worship is so important. It's not about God being egotistical. It's about God being the Creator, and He knows what you need and what will please you, what will make you happy and fulfilled and joyful. So let's go on. Now some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium, and they turned the, cra- the crowds into a murderous mob. People can tur- turn so quickly. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, apparently dead. At that point, things are not going well. Here am I, send me. Where are you? Okay. But look what he does. But as the believers stood around, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby, and after preaching the good news in Derby, making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned again to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that they must enter into the kingdom of God through many tribulations. Okay, so here it is. What do you do when you hit the wall? 
What do you do when you hit the wall in life? What do you do when you hit the wall in ministry? You're following God. God, where are you? Let me give you some thoughts from this story. Number one, you've got to remember that God has trusted you with a powerful mission. God has trusted me with a powerful mission. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You were created for significance. Paul and Barnabas were created for significance. That's why God called them. That's why He said, go, this is your first missionary trip. And when they went, they didn't minister in their own power. They ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. It says their words were full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And significant things happened. God has designed you for significance. We studied that during the Why Aren't You Dead Yet series. God wants you to make significant contributions in other people's lives. It might be in your kids. It might be in your spouse. It might be a co-worker. It might be a teammate. But God has created you for significance. It can be life-changing. This summer I had the opportunity to say thank you to someone who contributed to my life 30 years ago. Hadn't seen him in 30 years. Happened to run into him. I knew they were going to be at a meeting where I was at. I made it an effort to go and to talk to him. And here's what I wanted to say. I wanted to say, you know what? Thank you. (laughs) You have no idea how what you did sewed into my life and made me a part of what I am today. He was created for significance, and so he deposited somebody, something in me who is also created for significance, who has deposited something in you. And we'll all gain the reward someday for that. God has created you for significance. You have a powerful ministry. You can only accomplish your ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit, your mission through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul and Barnabas, the only way they could do it was through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to challenge you. Most important prayer you can pray every day is, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. You get up in the morning, before you go to work, before you go to your job, before you go to school, before you do whatever, and say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. You've created me for significance. I'm I'm to deposit in other people today. Who knows, but what the thing that I do today will be the thing that I'm remembered for and that you get glory for. And so fill me with your Holy Spirit. Okay? 1 John 4.4 says, When you run into the wall... You dear children, you're from God and have overcome. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I don't care what kind of wall you face. Greater is he that's in you than the one that's in the world. You pray that you be filled with the Holy Spirit. Second thing that you remember when you hit the wall is that there will always be people who won't understand. There will always be people who won't understand. Paul and Barnabas ran into two kinds of people. And so will you. The first kind are these. Some people will give you too much credit. You know anybody like that? These folks said, it's, it's Zeus. It's Hermes. These guys are incredible. And there are times when, when, when you do something, you do it well, you do it right, you sow into somebody's life, there will be some people who will give you too much credit. They do that with preachers a lot. I get a lot more credit than I deserve and a lot more blame. <laughs> I don't get much blame yet, but you know, that comes, that comes. That comes. Somebody said, uh, when God uses men or women to bless the world, many mistakenly exalt these men and women to the place of God. 
And any time you do that, it inevitably leads to pain and disappointment. That's why Paul was shouting as loud as he could, Wait, 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 we're, we're time out. We're just men. We're just like you. We have the same issues that you do. We pull our robes on one arm at a time. Yeah. Just like you do. You know what? It would be a good thing if a lot of leaders, pastors, preachers, Christian celebrities would follow that example and root out religious hero worship before somebody gets hurt. I don't care who it is. If it's this church, if it's another church in town, if it's somebody you watch on TV, you need to know they're human. And it would do everybody a lot of good if they just admit, if we would just admit, we struggle. I got to tell you, I struggle with the same stuff you do. I struggle with the same issues that you do. We're all in this together. There is only one that is to be worshipped. Should we encourage each other? Absolutely. Absolutely. But some people will give you way too much credit. It's not just leaders and people in public places. Where do you feed your ego on things that God should get credit for? Somebody says to you, boy, I see your kids. Man, you have great kids. How do you do that? And that's a good thing to say. And secretly you're thinking, darn right, they're good kids. Good parenting is how that happened. <laughs> you know, if you if, if you'd parent like we do, you might have kids like that. Ego feeds the ego, feeds the ego. When here's the truth, maybe you've done some good parenting. But I've had four kids... And most of it has to do with uh, the grace of God and the luck of the draw genetically. I won't say this about my family, but have you ever heard people say, you know, if I'd have had my second child first, we'd have never had a first child? (laughs) It's because kids are different, okay? So just graciously go thank you and the glory be to God, you know? Or maybe it has to do with your ability, you know, your intellect. You are so smart. You are so smart. You're thinking, <laughs> smarter than you, that's for sure. You know? yeah, or, or sometimes it can be looks, you know. You get this idea because you look better than somebody else. You think you do at least. That God, you know, God was having a good day when He made me. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> or in the, uh, in the words of the great theologian Zoolander, <laughs> some of us are just ridiculously good looking. You know, and I, and, and, you know, I fight with that all the time. <laughs> If you're going to be successful on your mission in life, you can't be a slave to the praise of people. Listen to this. The Lord gave me this yesterday. If, if you believe their praise on the way up, you will be devastated by their criticism on the way down. And so just take it with a grain of salt. In fact, the Bible says that praise is a test for men. It's a test. As, as the crucible is for silver and gold, so is praise to a man. Some people will give you more credit than you deserve. Some people will throw rocks at you. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but rocks really hurt. In the south, most rocks I've noticed hit you in the back of the head. Is that what you're wearing? Bless his heart. Have you lost weight? My friend Billy Hornsby, in his book 101 Rules for Relationships, says never ask a fat person if they've lost weight because they haven't. (laughs) 
kind of an insult. Okay, so people tend, you know, when people throw rocks, what do they throw rocks at? People tend to throw rocks at new stuff. New stuff they don't understand. That was the Jews. This is how God has been working for, you know, hundreds of years. This is new. This cannot be right. So just understand that when people are throwing rocks. Oftentimes it's new stuff. Pioneers, I say, are easy to identify because they're the ones with the arrows in their back. If you're trying new things, expect a few rocks. The people throwing rocks, as I studied this story, this is interesting, the people throwing the rocks weren't too far from where Paul had been. Paul was the rock thrower not that long ago. This is a new thing. I don't understand it. So when people are throwing rocks, put yourself in their place. Maybe you were, or maybe if you were experiencing what they were experiencing, maybe you'd have questions too. So expect opposition. And here's the important thing. Decide in advance how you're going to respond. Don't react to the situation. Decide in advance how you're going to respond when people throw rocks at you for your, your ideas or where you're going or what you're, what you're doing. And, and, and what do you decide in advance? You decide, I'm going to obey Jesus. What did Jesus say? Luke 6.28. Let's read this one out loud. Pray for the happiness. A lot of times when we read things out loud, we move our lips. Okay, so let's do it. Pray for the happiness of those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Do you do that? People throw rocks at you. God, I just pray for their happiness right now in Jesus' name. And they would be very happy to be in heaven. Take them quickly. No. Pray for their happiness. Pray for those who hurt you. Okay, remember that God is trusting. When you hit the wall, remember that God is trusting me with a powerful message. There will always be people who don't understand. Let me give you one more real quick. I get knocked down, but I get up again. I get Get it? You're going to hit the wall. It's not whether you fail, it's whether you get back up again. Okay? My little grandson, Miles, was running around last week after church, I think in the bullpen over here where we kind of come out before the service. And then he tripped over something, he fell down. And oh, and so his grandma went to him and he said, she said, Miles, are you going to make it? Sticks his lip out and says, no. Not going to make it. He's okay, though. He's here this week. It's not if you hit the wall. It's not if you get knocked down. It's when and how many times. I found a list of people who got knocked down. I love this stuff. And who got back up. Let me read just a few of them. Thomas Edison's teacher said he was too stupid to learn anything. He was fired from his first two jobs for being nonproductive. I was fired from my first three jobs in ministry. As an inventor, Edison made a thousand unsuccessful attempts to in, at inventing the light bulb. When a reporter asked, how did it feel to fail a thousand times? Edison replied, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. <laughs> I like that. Albert Einstein did not speak until he was four years old. He did not read until he was seven. His parents thought he was subnormal, and one of his teachers described him as mentally slow, unsociable, and adrift forever in foolish dreams. He was expelled from the school and was refused admittance to Zurich Polytechnic School. He did eventually learn to speak and read and even do a little bit of math. 
Henry Ford failed and went broke five times before he succeeded. Eight, R.H. Macy failed seven times before his store in New York City caught on. I like this one. Daniel Boone was once asked by a reporter if he had ever been lost in the wilderness. Boone thought for a moment and replied, No, but I once was bewildered for about three days. <laughs> Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor because he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. The first time Jerry Seinfeld walked onto a stage at a comedy club as a professional comic, he looked out at the audience, froze, and forgot the English language. He stumbled through a minute and a half of material and was jeered off stage. Twenty-seven publishers rejected Dr. Sue's first book. How many of you think they made a mistake? How many of them think they made a mistake? When you fall, just get back up. I love the Texas proverb. It doesn't matter how much milk you spill as long as you don't lose your cow. Okay? (laughs) Just think about that. Just think about that. Paul was left for dead. And what did he do? He got up. Here's what he wrote about it later. 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 4.8. He says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed and broken. We are perplexed, but we do not give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again. It says that right there in the Bible. He wrote the song. (laughs) We get up again and we keep going. Here's what I know. I know when you decide to follow God, when you say, here am I, send me, you're going to be tempted to quit several times. You're going to try to do it on your own power rather than waiting on the power of the Holy Spirit. And some people will praise you and then others will try to punch you and both of them will test you. But here's your scripture. Are you ready for it? Galatians 6, 9, my favorite one. So don't get tired of doing what is good. Don't get discouraged and give up for we will reap a harvest of blessing at the appropriate time. The harvest is coming. Don't quit. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement during times when we hit the wall, when it gets tough, when we follow God and we say, here am I, send me. Then we wonder where you are. God, I I, I ask in these moments that you would help us just to be honest with you, honest with ourselves, with each other as we respond to you. God, move us. Move among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.